Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Passage that I was given, we're going, working our way through Luke. Uh, the, the kingdom of God has been the overarching thing. And when I first got the email that I was going to be teaching, I was both excited, because if you've been in any of my classes uh, at Fox, um, I would much rather talk about philosophy, theology, Engineering is great, but Jesus is funner. Uh, so now I actually get an opportunity to, and I don't have to like stop halfway through to talk about Murphy's Law, uh, which we should talk about someday, actually. That's a fun one. Um, but the passage that I got was uh, Luke 4, 1 through 13. So if you want to open that up, get there, that'd be great. Uh, and it's about Jesus being tempted by the devil. And I saw it, and I was like, oh, teaching will be fun, but really, the devil? Like, we just covered that. Am I supposed to, like, somehow, like, do better or recap or can I just, like, hit play on the podcast on, like, two and a half speeds so we can get through all four weeks of spiritual warfare? Uh, it was a little daunting at first, but it's been really cool, actually. And, and what's really fun to remember that I was reminded in prepping for this is that this is a living book. This is living words. And so... Having an opportunity just to sit and think. I'm a delayed prepper. Uh, could be called a procrastinator uh, in some worlds. I just believe in delayed preparation. Uh, but it means a lot of sitting and thinking. Uh, well, I might not like throw everything together until the morning of. Neither can confirm or deny. Uh, I've been processing it since before Christmas. And when you sit in a, in a piece of scripture... For a long time, it's kind of crazy what you can find, like what the Spirit speaks to you. And so this passage specifically, while at first it was one that I thought was going to be more focused on, you know, the classic, Jesus, the devil, how do we avoid temptation, the stuff that we talked about. There's actually some really cool little nuggets in there that have been kind of rocking my world. And it's actually been very cool just... Even coming here, this is a living word, but more so than that, he's a living being. And we didn't come here just to, my goal, and yeah, I'm granted more of an intellectual person, but my goal isn't try to build some argument to change your mind about anything. I don't want to convince you about anything. If that's all we do, we might as well just call it a day and go home now because I don't really care. Uh, the goal when we come here, or should we when we come here, is to meet him and to learn something about him. So a challenge I've even had for myself in the last six months in the year is when I come to church, am I, looking, am I looking for things that I agree with? Am I looking to learn something new about him, from him? If we ever go into a relationship just looking for things that we already align with, that relationship is destined to fail. Right? We have to go into a relationship letting the other individual introduce them to us. And, and so tonight, if we came here, again, just to find something that we agree with and walk out feeling good about ourselves, I would challenge you to not do that. To open yourself up to be introduced to himself by himself. 
Because in doing so, there's something that Jesus has for all of us tonight. Uh, there's, there, again, last minute prepper. I was been thinking about this. I had my main ideas. I put together my flow uh, over the last couple of days. And it was cool to see the nugget that God has for us. And then coming to pre-gathering prayer, there was a general sense, and we'll get words from that later, but a general sense of surrender. And then even in worship, right, worship was a last-minute thing today. It wasn't the planned team. And so to see the, the, the theme again of God's holiness and being consumed from the inside out in this sense of surrender, which is why, you know, reframe the joy and exubilation until, actually it's there anyhow, because that's where surrender ends up. We'll get there. Uh, we're going to read Luke 4, 1 through 13, and I'm just going to start out by reading it, because actually most of me is just going to be reading the Bible, because I figure he should talk instead of me. Uh, so Luke 4, 1 through 13, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And then when they were ended, he was hungry. Checks out. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and all their glory. For it has been delivered to me and I give it to you to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he, being the enemy, took him, being Jesus, to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So I've loved the focus of this study. And actually, even before I get started, Jesus, may you speak to us out of this. May you lead in front and behind. May your words come out of my mouth. And may you clarify anything that I might misspeak. Jesus, we're ready to be touched. I've loved the focus of this study with the kingdom of God uh, and early on, I think in the very first, the very first message of it, Alex defined what that means. I think we've got a slide for it, theoretically. Uh, kingdom of God, the experience you have when Jesus is your king. And we're going to remember this kingdom of God concept, just that, that phrase even, the kingdom of God. That's going to come back to us throughout uh, this talk, specifically at the very end uh, it's been a relatively recent revelation to me. You should try saying that sometime really fast. Relatively recent revelation. Uh, Jesus as a man has been a fun thing to ponder. It's kind of in the last couple of years. It's, I always knew, you know, that the, the, I did a junior Bible quiz as a kid. Uh, yeah, we'll go into that later. Uh, there were great things about it. I don't know if it was fully a great thing, but I did learn a lot of the Bible, so that was good. Uh, don't know if I learned a lot of Jesus, but I learned a lot of the Bible. Uh, but in this, in this sense of Jesus as a man, like, yes, he's 100% man, 100% God. For a long time, I generally, I think, gave Jesus as a man a cop-out because he was God. It's like, well, yeah, obviously he doesn't sin. 
Obviously, he does all the right things. Like, yes, he sets, like, the template and the bar and all that jazz. Like, and he's a man, and we, get to, we follow his example. But my hope in being like him is delayed. That's for later. Because he was God. He had a cop. Like, that's just not fair. Was, you know, and, and I'm not going to dive into all the philosophy of that. I'm not a philosopher. I'm a theologian of life, as I like to call myself. Uh, I leave the heavy philosophy to people who understand Kierkegaard way better than I do. Uh, I just know how to say the name. Uh, but the, the, this, this idea that, that Jesus is a man and he is, like Romans tells us, the new Adam. He's, he's our new template. He's not just who we get to be. He's who we can be. We can live like him. And so this is what I'm actually going to look at. Like what's happening here is not just that Jesus, you know, as God went and defied the devil. But it's that Jesus was tempted. The man who never sinned. The man, also God, yes. But the man who never, tempt, who never sinned was tempted. So rather than talk about kind of the, the mechanics of like how do we, you know, resist temptation, we'll kind of actually talk about that a little bit. Uh, but if you want like the deep details, like go look, listen to the Spiritual Warfare uh, podcast. It's a great one. There's really good stuff there. Uh, but my, my main thing is here is that Jesus as a human being, as one of us, experienced what we experience. So when we experience temptation, it's nothing that he's not familiar with. Hebrews 4 uh, 14 through 16, uh, which I think is our next slide, tells us this. Uh, this is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, I always think it's in Hebrews 10, but it's not. It's in Hebrews 4. Uh, it's one of those ones where I know it exists, but I always have to go and flip through Hebrews until I find it, which is never a bad thing. But Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confessions, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Essentially, Jesus gets it. As a human being, he understands temptation. It's nothing new to him, and it's not something that's just conceptual to him. He is God, maybe it would be conceptual, but he is man, experienced it. And this is what we see in Luke. And what I find fascinating, and this is more of an aside, is that, and I'd never read this before, this is one of those things that when you read a passage again, you're like, oh shoot, like that's new. Uh, if you look at the very beginning of Luke, it says he went out to be tempted for 40 days. I always thought it was at the end of the 40 days. And again, you can look at theologians. They can hash this out. The vibe I'm picking up from my recent reading is that he was tempted for 40 days. And we just see the end of it. Like, that's crazy. Not eating and being tempted? And he still comes out on top? We, but again, this is what we get to do. So as we look at this, it's not just that he gets it, but also that I think we should expect it. I think he did this because we were going to be tempted. We are going to be tempted. And he's showing us that even himself, who is perfect, was tempted because he's getting in the way. He's, Satan doesn't necessarily really care about those who aren't getting in his way. Like, those are kind of like, whatever, just keep doing your thing. But those, of, those Jesus being primary, right, he was trying to foil Satan's plans. So of course Satan's going to go and try to mess with his head. 
right? And so if we, as we, as we live like Jesus, as we step into our identity as co-heirs with Christ, we should expect to be tempted. It doesn't mean anything about our standing as a child of God. Because Jesus was tempted. And we can know that when we're tempted, he knows what we're going through. And anything he tells us to do out of that, he's not telling us to out of a conceptual idealization of what it would be like to be tempted. Because he did it. Experienced it and overcame it. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, I think we have a slide on that as well. Uh, okay, now we've got a lot of Bible tonight. So it says this, No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And then again in John 16, 33, uh, it says this. Could throw that one up there. I have said these things to you, that in me, in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You will suffer. We will suffer. We will be tempted. And there's no temptation beyond our ability. And I think for a while in some things, I've lived in this kind of sense, and maybe it's just me, but kind of this this hope deferred of like, yeah, I'm going to be tempted. Okay, I get it, but I'm not going to be always able to overcome it because someday I'll get a new body. Jesus will come back. He'll eradicate all the evil of the world. And then, then I'll get to actually live into the fullness of this. And I just, I don't see that because that's not how Jesus lived. How he lives, he says, you will suffer, but there's no temptation. You will be tempted, but there's no temptation that you won't be able to bear. He will provide a way of escape, always. And I don't even think it's just escape, as we're going to see further. It's of, of overcoming, of conquering. After pondering this passage, it's cement, cementing the offer, offer that Jesus has for us. That offer that he has of freedom. We see that in Galatians 5. For freedom, Christ is set us free. So why would we submit again to a yoke of slavery? We see it in Romans 8, that we are more than conquerors. Not just conquerors, that's cool, but like more than conquerors. Like conquerors isn't even our identity because we're more than that. Like that's just an aside. Like, oh yeah, we conquer. Like that's kind of what we do, but like it's not really who we are. You know what I mean? Like that, that's who we get to be. That's what Jesus was. He went into this thing with the devil, went into it to be tempted for 40 days, plus the three at the end, or the three temptations at the end, which we're going to get to those. Those are fun. I think they're, they're, they're called out for a reason. And he went into it like, yeah, he knew, he knew what the result was going to be. But I think he did it for us. So that when he says, be like me, when Paul says, follow me like I'll follow Christ, when we say that to others, we can actually take them into the, the wilderness like Jesus did and come out victors. I really think this passage is showing us... Uh, Two, two primary things. I mean, there's a lot of things, obviously. If I was to look at this again in a year and sit on it for another two months, I think I'd learn something new because it's a living and breathing thing. But this time, there's two things that I really see coming out of this. I see potential temptations that we experience along with the victory that goes along with those and, and the fact that we've already talked about that we will be tempted so, so how does, I mean, if we think about temptation and how temptation actually works, it's generally in 
a potential weakness. Potential because, yeah, I'll get there in a minute. But a potential weakness. For 40 days, Jesus wasn't eating. He was filled with the Spirit. So he was, he was taken care of. He was just coming out of that moment with Jesus we talked about recently, where God says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. But then he goes into the wilderness, 40 days. Remember those two things. That's, there's a real fun little sidebar on that. 40 days not eating to be tempted. And in, in that, there's, just three, there's three big ones that I come out of. We've got slides for these. The first of these that we see in Luke 4.3. Luke 4.3, which tells us, I'll throw that up there, Evan. And when the devil had ended, 4.33, we'll get to that one later. Oh, actually, I sit on this one for a minute. Go back to that for a hot second. Uh, I did want to talk about this because I think this is intriguing. So Jesus goes out there. Again, so this isn't about like a logical pathway. This is you like, hello, introduction to my mind. It's really fun. I promise, most of the time. Luke 4.33 is great. When the devil had ended every temptation, so he'd got his 40 days, we got the three at the end that we're kind of invited into seeing, and then he says this, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. That opportune time really kind of like, it, it hung with me a little bit. It was like, oh, so he wasn't done. It wasn't like Jesus was like, yeah, I did my time, and it's, it's I, again, I think Satan, now whether he had opportune times, I don't know. We don't really see more into this. But I think, again, it's just a reminder that even Jesus, as a man, as our template, was not separated from our experience. And one just, and this is just a welcome to Chris Sharp's world, one thought that I had even was at the very end, or almost end of his life, when he's in the garden, and he has this moment, like, if you can take this away from me, please do. He had an option there of aligning himself with God's will and not. And thank him that he aligned himself with him because uh, I really appreciate that personally. Uh, and I hope we all do too, right? But it's just, again, even, even in that moment, like it was, a, it was a potential moment of weakness for him, right? Like he's about to go die and he's a human and not just die like, a, you know, something quiet and calm and in the still of the night, but pretty brutal, for you, for me. And in that moment, he had an opportunity to, to do that or to not. And he chose to. So even in, his dark, in that darkest moment for him, like he's demonstrating to us that he's with us, that he gets it. He's been in those dark times. And if he's done it and he's come out, we can too. So let's look at these three, the three temptations that we see here. The first one's in Luke 4, 3. And it says this, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, this one was kind of fun. This came to me a couple weeks ago. Uh, and I really think that you can boil all of these down into three things that are pretty common to us. For most of us, at least in the West, I don't think like the need for bread. Most of us probably don't go 40 days without eating or like to the point of giving up everything just for a loaf of bread. I mean, I do love bread, so that would be a tough one for me. But uh, hang with me on this one, because in my mind, this, this, is, uh, the, this is sustenance. This is what, it needs, what you need to survive. For us, if I was to translate this, it'd be the other variation of bread, and I don't actually know modern lingo, so I could be dating myself for just trying, stepping into uncharted waters. Uh, but bread is in money. 
finances. Right, I think that's a thing. We're going to pretend that it is. Just nod and smile. Thanks. Appreciate it. Right, but, but it, bread, is, bread is the thing that you need to survive. Right, but for us, I don't think in terms of like, oh, do I have a loaf of bread in my cupboard? Like if I don't, like I'm sad, but I just go get another one. Right, but I, when I look at my bank account and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, gosh. Right, so, we, so we've got this, this, this idea of money, wealth. And we see this throughout Jesus' time, where we, even in the Old Testament with the, the Israelites in the wilderness and the manna. Right? And God provided the manna for them, enough for every day. And then if they took more than they needed, it rotted, it was gross. Or we see this in his parable of the storehouses, filling up storehouses here and then dying and that meaning nothing. Right? So I think that we have a temptation here of money, of wealth of pursuit of that, of stress over that. We also see in Luke 4, 5 through 7, a little further down, the second temptation, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I'll give you, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And these were, these were really, it was really insightful for me because these were things that were very pointed to, I think, my recent experience in just my life, and I'm not that old yet. Uh, sometimes I feel like I am, that's my knees, but uh, relatively young. But, e- but each of these, right, like the w- wealth, that's something that stresses me out sometimes. Like retirement is a foreign concept by and large. Like I get it, but also like, how does it work out? Uh, power, right, what we see here is power. And I think, and I grew up in the, in the 90s, you know, the height of Christendom in the West, or so some would have liked, uh, or were trying for, right? And, and there's this, and we see it now, we've even experienced it this, potentially this last couple of months here in Newburgh with the school board stuff, right? There's this battle going on for power. And I think there's a temptation that we have of trying to grab that power aside from God, and not recognizing who has that power. And it's a temptation. It's a temptation of me putting my trust somewhere that's not necessarily him. And then the last one, the last temptation we see is in 9 through 11. This one, the enemy tries to get a little crafty, but you really shouldn't use your opponent's weapons because they know them better. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And the temptation that I see here is health. If you go to that next slide, Evan, we've got these three primary temptations, health, wealth, and power. And I think these, that this is why these three were shown. Because these, at least for me, all of these speak true. I have experienced all of these in certain capacities. I grew up in a very crunchy granola-type home. Health is a thing. Believing in doctors is less of a thing. That's like a crazy extreme, but maybe potentially a little bit, depending on who you ask. And so there's this idea even that I have to be careful with myself of like, am I in control of my health? Or am I going to actually trust that to him? Am I going to trust my health, my physical well-being to him? My finances? Am I trusting my future to him? Yes, I want to be wise. I want to be innocent. But at the end of the day, I just want to be his. And so am I trusting myself and my money to him? Am I doing things that might not make sense? 
but I don't understand yet because I'm saying it's here, here's me. And then power, am I getting overly stressed by what's happening in the world around me because my trust is not actually in him and him being on the authority? If you look at the response to that one, it says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus has a comeback to all of these. You know, we could spend a little side note about diving into how exactly does he live and his responses and knowing the Bible, uh, all of which are good. Again, go back and listen to Spiritual Warfare. Solid. Uh, But what I'm seeing here is that kind of the overarching 30,000-foot view is that Christ is our template. And as our template, he's actually our hope. Because he was offered the extremes of all of these. I'm just thinking about a retirement account, and he was offered authority over the entire world. He was offered the gauntlet, you know, in modern vernacular. Right? He, he was offered everything. And so when he was able to resist, to stand firm in who he was and his identity, that means I can I get to live in that same way. If he overcame, so can we. That's what this passage means. And it's not a delayed hope. It doesn't mean that someday I'll get to overcome. It means that today we can overcome. Today that can be something that we get to stand on and push through and have as part of our testimony. When I am weak, then he is strong. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what was really fun to think about this, and even just that's been challenging to me, is I want to see a change in the church. And by that I mean I want to see a change in myself. In our response to exposed sin. In our response to acknowledged temptation. Just to not acknowledge temptation is a farce. If we're, if we're not acknowledging that we are in fact being tempted, that we are in fa- not in fact struggling, that's false. Because if Jesus was, then we will be. He was very clear about that. And so I want, why, why do I want to see this change and even my response is because I want to see temptations overcome. I don't want to just see a thing that we're struggling with, with this like deferred hope, like someday it'll be okay. I want to see people healed. This is a new one for me in terms of like the physical healing. It's one like theoretically, yes, I always believed in, but I actually want to see it. I want to see people ultimately set free. I want to see Pentecost happen again. Personal, like my youth team knows this, I have a dream that someday, hopefully soon, there will be another wind that blows through and those little tongues of fire will show up again. I'm hoping for it. But this is what I want to see. In that spiritual warfare that Alex, when Alex taught, he spoke, and I'm a rock climber. I like rock climbing. It's fun. I see you guys. Alex had an analogy of avoiding, avoiding giving uh, the devil any foothold. And, and in rock climbing, you'll find that it doesn't take much of a foothold to be able to complete a route. And so Alex talked about, we want want to look at our lives and how can we remove and eliminate those footholds. And I want to take that even a step farther. 
I believe that as followers of Christ, as we followers of Christ, as we follow Christ, we can take those footholds of the devil and not just remove them, but turn them into handholds of faith. Where it's not just something that we're like, that's gone, I'm removing it. Like, no, I'm, I, that's mine, actually. That's my testimony, and you don't get to stand on it because I'm holding on to it, and I'm climbing up. And then it stays there for anybody who wants to climb behind me. And this is the power that we talk about of testimony. This is testimony. And this is what we get. When we have those temptations, it's an offer from Jesus that we can overcome it. We can take that that foothold that Satan's trying to use, and we can say, no. Jesus said, I don't have to fall for that. That's my handhold, and I'm climbing to him. And we find out he's already there climbing with us. It's great. It's fun. Right? So since we're, since we're going to be tempted, how are we going to respond? This, this is this, the kind of the, some of the why. So, and this is, we're not going to go into much of like specifics. There's some good stuff there. Actually, I just started reading um, uh, Mark, John Mark Comer's new book, Live No Lies. Uh, it's got some good stuff in it. But uh, in terms of overarching, high level, uh, how do we what are we going to do when we're tempted? How do we respond? And there's kind of an intriguing response, I think, that we see throughout the New Testament. The first one's in Ephesians 6. Evan, if you want to throw that one up there. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, it says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heaven places. I, I put the whole bit there because I just like the end of it of that reminder that our actual battle is not flesh and blood. That's just always been a helpful reminder to me in the last couple of years especially. But in the response of how do we resist, how are we strong? Well, we stand. We stand. In 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11, Evan, you want to throw that one up there? It says this, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout this world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Again, we see standing. How do we resist? We stand. To stand or resist, as we see here in Ephesians and in 1 Peter, I've been, I was thinking about that standing concept, and it requires, it requires a foundation. You have to stand on something. Uh, if you want to resist something, physics said, for every force, there's, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. If you want to resist something, you need some support of some sort. Right? If you're playing tug of war, you got to actually like dig your heels in. You got to have something to like lean against. And you need hope. For us to stand, for to resist, we need, we need foundation, we need support, we need hope. In James 4, 7, we see a little bit more on this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And if you want to throw that next slide up, Evan. Resistance requires submission and humility. 
This isn't about straining. This isn't even necessarily about like digging our heels in. The foundation, the support, the hope that we find, we see it in Peter in the beginning of it in all humility. We see it in James of submit. And we're going to resist the enemy that's going to require submission and humility. And that's a little scary. But this is how we actually resist. It's not by try hard. It's by submit. It's by remembering who's holy and who offers that holiness. Matthew 5, 15 through 16, kind of a famous, well, I don't know if it's a famous passage. In my world it is. Again, JBQ, uh, junior Bible quiz. Uh, Yeah. It was actually really fun. I did learn a lot of the Bible. The whole competition part, now they look back at it, I got questions. But fortunately, when you're taking God's word, it gets stuck and God, he, he redeems everything. So that's good. So in the, Matthew 5 says this Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Uh, my wife recently, I forget the context that she was talking about, but she had the phrase, like, the lights are going to be on and people are going to see us. And that's actually, I think, a cool thing. And what, what, with, with this, this whole light under a bear, under a bowl or under a bushel, whatever it might be, the, the, the curiosity that I had is what if this light that we get to, to shine, that we get to show to the world, is just all of our sin, all of our temptations being consumed by Christ's death on the cross? What if when we burn brightest is when we take the things that, this, that the enemy is trying to tempt us with, and we say, no, no, that, you can light that one up too. Like here, throw some gas on that one and then toss a match. This is when we burn brightest. Not when we run from our temptation. Not when we try to suppress the fact that we're being tempted. That we have our struggles. That we have our things that we don't want people or God to know about. But when we bring it to him. And we let ourselves be reminded by him. And maybe that's through the person sitting next to you. We let ourselves be reminded that that's gone. That he took care of it. And in that moment, that supposed foothold becomes a faith hold. I was uh, mentored by a Lutheran, my grandpa was actually a Lutheran pastor, so I got some deep history with it, but uh, in Luther's Heidelberg Disputation, Disputation, uh, 1518, you want to throw that up, Evan? Uh, I was reading, looking at this this morning, I just pulled the book off my shelf because I thought maybe it'd have some fun stuff in it, sure enough it did. Uh, he said, but I got a bunch of theses in it, and one of them at the very end, this is actually the last one of the book, says, the love of God does not first discover but creates what is pleasing to it. The love of man comes into being through attraction to what it pleases, and the, the first part of that was fascinating. Unfortunately, he expounds on it a little bit. The first part is clear, because the love of God that lives in man loves sinners, evil persons, fools, and weaklings in order to make them righteous, good, wise, and strong. Rather than seeking its own good, we see that in Philippians. Jesus didn't, he didn't come here for his own building up. He laid himself down. Rather than seeking its own good, the love of God flows forth and bestows good. This is how God works. This is the that grace that we get to exist in. This is why when we bring our ish to him, 
he destroys it. He's bestowing his goodness. He's bestowing his holiness. Now, I really wanted to start with this, but it's best if held for the end. It's, it's like, you know, eating your spinach and all that other good stuff, and then you get to the dessert. Uh, there was something that I thought was really cool, and I'm probably not the first one to have realized this. Again, it was just my realization as I pondered what God was telling me from this passage. So, moral of that story is, go and just ponder. Ponder Jesus' word. Ponder what he has to say to you, because he will tell you something. But there is this very cool correlation that we see. If you want to throw up uh, that passage there, Luke 4, 1 through 2. This talks about Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days. Again, these were things I had never noticed. I think whenever I'd read this in the past, it was always like, okay, so if the devil tempts me, I just need to have learned the Bible so I can kick it back at him and I'll be okay. That was my general takeaway from this. There was so much more that's in here. I'm excited to look at this again sometime and like see what else is there. But in this instance, this, this really stood out to me. This, this wilderness, that didn't necessarily ring bells at first, but then you tack on wilderness with 40. And I was like, oh, interesting. I feel like I remember some other wilderness that involved the, a 40. We, we've got the, you know what we're talking about, right? Like the Israelites. The Israelites in Numbers 13. I'm not going to read it. It takes too long. Great story. I was actually bringing... It was, Bringing tears in my eyes, for, I don't necessarily know why. I think I do, but kind of a weird story to cry over. Uh, but in Numbers 13, Jesus has taken, or God's taken his people out of Egypt, done some crazy stuff. He's brought them to the edge of the promised land. And they're like, hey, over there, that's yours. So they send some spies into the land. You know, it's espionage, James Bond, James Bond type. No, I don't know if it's quite that like that. Actually, probably not, because... Well, these were scaredy cats. Uh, most of them were. Uh, so they sent some spies in to like scope out the land. Okay, like so this is our promise, and like what's it like? What's it gonna like, what's it gonna take to get it? What's that gonna look like? And so these these most of these spies come back, and by and large they all like it's 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 incredible. And it actually brought it was kind of some cool correlations because even they they brought this like pole that was holding some big old branch of grapes, which made me think of Newburgh, which was kind of fun. Uh, and also some figs and dates, but the grapes seemed like they were the primary trophy of that expedition. Uh, but when they came back, if you remember the story, 10 of these spies, you know, everybody was like, yeah, it's, the land is crazy. But for 10 of them, they also said, but it's scary. The, the people there are giants. They're huge. They're terrifying. Their swords are bigger and stronger than ours. They've introduced carbon to their steel, and we can't do that yet. That means something to some people. If you've been in my classes, you know. This will never work. Two of them said, no, God said we could take it. James and Joshua and Caleb said, but like God said we can have it. Sometimes I think, in the correlation that I got, that I thought was, this, I think this is the honestly primary takeaway, is we're in a wilderness again. Or we might be. Or most of the world is. But we don't have to be. If we go back to the kingdom of God, Jesus told us that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's within grasp. It's just like those Israelites 
sitting and looking at it, it was theirs for the taking. It was theirs to have. God said, it's yours. They said, but it's scary. I think sometimes, and this is again speaking to me, these are the temptations, right? The wealth or the power, the politics, the health. There's these things that pop up that's like, but, but, but. But I need to like put my money somewhere safe. I need, to, I need to make sure that the vote happens the right way, whatever the right way is, for whichever way you voted. We have these things that flare up. That's just the enemy trying to scare us off from taking what's, from living, not even taking, it's just living in what's ours. So we have the option. I think the offer that we have is we can stay in the wilderness. We can let our hope be deferred. And God is caring and I think he'll, you know, he loves us and he'll take care of us. But we could also not do that. We could also recognize and acknowledge that the kingdom of God is at hand. And that we can stand in it. That those footholds that the devil is trying to utilize, we get to turn into handholds for ourselves and others to climb into that promised land, to experience that promised land. Over Christmas, uh, I watched the, the, the Chosen like Christmas documentary thing. Uh, not documentary, whatever the thing was. Christmas special, let's go with that. Uh, kind of felt like a documentary on Jesus though at the end, so maybe a little bit. Uh, but in it, it wasn't really what I expected because I thought it was going to be a whole story, but then there's all the songs in there. But I was introduced to a new artist for me, Brandon Lake. Uh, and his song that was in there, like, his, like it, it hooked me. I don't think it hooked me. I think Jesus hooked me. Uh, and, it's been, and it's been sticking with me. And the chorus of it goes like this. I'm not going to sing it because none of us want that. Uh, it says, come on my soul, don't you get shy on me. That part hit me hard. I know I've let my, my soul get shy on me a lot of times. Fear of man's a thing we can turn into a handhold. Lift up your song. You've got a lion inside. You've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. When church asked us to do some like listening prayer for the year, uh, we were in Wisconsin, and we took some time to do it, and I got this picture, and again, it was kind of really cool. It's, I haven't, I haven't, I'm a really bad technology user, uh, so I haven't actually sent it in. Sorry. Uh, it's coming. Or maybe, Bri, maybe Laura did. She's better than I am at that. Nice. She did. Uh, but I got this picture, uh, this picture of, and I, and I think it was for me, but I also think it was for all of us. It was actually really cool because it aligns so well with the words that we were getting in pre-gathering prayer earlier, and even just in worship before this. And I got this picture of lions. Just been listening to the song, so it made sense. Uh, but this picture of lions, and, and lions are arguably, like, you know, like they're the king of the jungle? They live in the Sahara. But anyhow, they're the king, right? Royalty, Jesus is described as a lion. But I got this picture of these lions that were just laying, lounging, as lions are generally prone to do. Uh, but these lions were just, they were, they were, they were lounging. And I don't honestly think that, that it was saying that that was inherently bad. 
Sometimes it's good to soak. It's good to sit. It's good to be there. And that's where we should always be. But there is also this sense of it's time to rise up. And I saw these lions rising up. And lions are big, scary beasts, right? Aslan, love him, terrified of him, as he should be. Uh, These lions rising up and walking somewhere. And the first place they went was in front of a throne. And they kneeled. You know, in the lion format with like the one paw out. At least in my head, that's how it happened, right? So, so, they, so these lions rose up to kneel down, and then they went out. They went running out from there as lions. And I don't know where we all are, whether it's continuing in the process or if it's going to be immediate healing, but I think that word was for all of us. I'm going to throw that last thing up, Evan. Uh, that thing, yeah. We have the opportunity to see the footholds taken from the enemy and turn into handholds of faith. I think as we look at God and we see his holiness, I think we would be lying to ourselves if we don't acknowledge that there are things that we know don't match. Whatever that might be. Whether it's thoughts, actions, ideas that we let persist. There are things that we see in us that we know are not us, but we see them in us that we might not want people to know about. Or that when we compare it to God's holiness, we know it doesn't align. The fact that you are seeing those, that you've recognized those, means that God wants to get rid of those. Whatever that might be. For me, and we're about to get real personal here, so buckle up. Uh, For me, what this looked like was since middle school, nah, probably junior high-ish through grad school, I struggled with porn pretty heavily. I experienced healing right before we got married, like a few months before I married my wife. Because for me, that was something like I wanted to, again, I wanted to have it gone. And I experienced healing there. And that was beautiful. That was amazing. I know I was healed in that moment. Last year, about this time, I stumbled into it again. And I had to have the conversation I'd never wanted to have. Like the one conversation. I got to talk to my wife before she was my wife about it, saying I had conquered it. Then I got to have the other conversation like, but I I needed to do that. What I wanted to do was to hide it. I wanted to kick it. You know, I wanted to conquer it and then move past it and let nobody find out. But God was very persistent. He wasn't going to let me do that because he wasn't going to let that attempted foothold not be used to grow stronger. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, 
You can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.